0: Either one of these, any good? I
1: keep thinking we're wow, going to talk this about the Batman this week, but it's we're not. Good. We yeah, have to the wait. The we got, we it saw it last so. night, it's but there's a gag. Dang, order. You saw <laughs> it. We'd like to, but it's we can't. So, bad. so it's the week before, but we're digging into what's new this week. Glad you're here to dig in with us. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start with some rock and roll. Legendary rock band Foo Fighters move into an Encino mansion steeped in grisly rock and roll history to record their much anticipated. Tenth album. This is Studio Six Six Six. Dave Grohl's been possessed. Now he's on
0: a murderous rampage. Any chefs in the group? I'm pretty handy on the grill. Ah!
1: Ah! Is the album almost done? It's killer.
0: My latest guilty pleasure. You're
1: welcome, music. Okay, this is Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters. And I know, I'm sure there are people out there that don't like Dave Grohl, but he seems to be almost like the Tom Hanks of rock and roll. Everybody likes him. Seems like a good guy. Uh, I like their music as well. Um, he seems like a fun guy that is not afraid to poke fun at himself and they certainly poke fun at themselves in this movie Um, it is, uh, if you like the Foo Fighters I will say there's music in it but don't expect the greatest hits because even though they're playing themselves really all the music is them jamming it's really instrumentals until the very end over the credits you get a Foo Fighters song but it's really really bloody it's really really goofy but it it's too long and it gets old fast.
0: Yeah, it is. It's surprisingly bloody. And, and they let you know that in the opening segment. I mean, and, and, it's, yeah. and it's a comedy. You know, it's a horror comedy. But, man, it's bloody, which is a, a bonus point for me, you know. They're very likable. And I just think the film is, uh, is a little self-indulgent. I just think uh, if they could have trimmed it to, like, Sixty-five minutes, seventy minutes. I mean, they oh, really, yeah. and it's 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 like an hour forty-five.
1: It needed to lose half hour at least. It needed long. to lose a good twenty minutes. In fact, as it got toward the end, when I thought, oh, okay, here they're wrapping it up. No, it was about another twenty minutes or yeah. so. So it does. I I was laughing. Most of the parts that I was laughing at were the the, the band parts where they were poking fun at each other, yeah. or the rock and roll lifestyle, or the the fact that you know, oh, they're rock stars. Yeah. So I thought that was some of that was sort of funny. And Pat Smear's wardrobe is uh, interesting to say the least, and it does get really bloody in a goofy way. It's it's not bloody like the 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 new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which really looks good and almost you know realistic. Kill this is. This is goofy stuff.
0: Oh uh, yes, it is.
1: Blood but, and guts type stuff.
0: Yeah, but I was surprised by how much of it there was. I mm-hmm. mean, there's no getting around that it's definitely horror and sloppy, a sloppy mess of it. Um and there are some some fun cameos here and there, but
1: Yeah, Whitney Cummings is their weird next door neighbor once they move in to start recording the album. Uh Will Forte yeah. uh delivers pizza. And it's it's really weird because the more I looked at him, he's he's got a wig on, obviously, but it looks like the wig he's wearing was designed down to the millimeter to look exactly like Dave Grohl's hair. <laughs> I mean, it had gray strands in the exact same place. <laughs> you might know what
0: Dave Grohl looks like better than I'd like to realize. Uh, well, at least just yeah.
1: stare at the screen. There you know it is. what's funny,
0: though, about, about uh, Forte being in the movie is that he was in a movie last year, maybe the year before, called Extraordinary. It was an Irish horror comedy, and he plays a like a rock musician who has sold his soul to the devil to become really, really famous, which is very close to the same uh, concept of this movie. And if you haven't seen extraordinary, extraordinary, it is hilarious and just charming and adorable.
1: But in this movie, of course, he shows up delivering food and of And, of course, he's a big fan. Oh, he's also in a band, and here's his demo tape. And we're not going to spoil it, but if you go to this movie, listen hard for his character name (laughs) because it's very funny. (laughs) They don't don't really put it in your face about what the character name is, but they mention it a few times, uh, and they have some fun with that. They have some fun with Pearl Jam as well. They do, in in a very funny way. I (laughs) enjoyed that.
0: And I think we both were kind of hoping that Jack Black would show up.
1: Yeah, I was kind of surprised because, as we just said, there, there are a few... Uh, celebrity cameos but yeah since he played since Dave Grohl played Satan in the Tenacious D movie and then Jack Black was in the Foo Fighters videos at least one that I know of I thought yeah you might see little Jack Black and there's at least one time where I thought Dave Grohl was kind of doing kind of
0: channeling Jack Black he was kind of channeling
1: yeah. Jack Black yeah <laughs> exactly so yes there there is some fun here but uh, it's boy We just keep going back to that. If they could just shave off about 20 minutes, because it does seem seem self-indulgent. But if you're you're a Foo Fighters fan, if you're a fan of horror comedies, I mean, really silly, bloody chainsaw stuff, hang in, because when you think it's over, it's still got about another 20 minutes. (laughs) And that that is uh, Studio 666, and it's directed by B.J. McDonald. And we thought... That he had only done music videos, but no. He was—he directed Hatch- Hatchet 3. Hatchet 3. Yeah. So he knows a little bit about blood and guts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this one is in theaters, which kind of surprised me. I thought this seems like one that should also be streaming.
0: It does. Yeah, I agree with you. But yeah. for whatever reason, you can only see it in theaters.
1: Yes, only in theaters right now. I'm sure it'll be coming to streaming here before too long. And that is the Foo Fighters Studio 666. Well, we've got a full-fledged musical next, too self-conscious to woo Roxanne himself. Wordsmith Cyrano de Bergerac helps young Christian nab her heart through love letters. This is Cyrano. I Speak to me like you do in your letters. You are a beautiful flower.
0: I am not a flower. I need more. I With her. Say, My
1: fate is to love her from afar. We must let her decide our
0: fate. She must have the choice. I can remember how excited I was to watch this movie because uh, Peter Dinklage plays Serenetta Berger. Yeah. Which I thought, first of all, that's a brilliant way to. Kind of update the, the concept of Serena de Berger. I'm a massive, massive fan of his. And also, Joe Wright directed. So I thought, oh, what fun this will be. Yeah. And I was really, really eager to see it. And then we were like five minutes in, and you go, <laughs> did you know this was a musical? I did not.
1: <laughs> and you love them. I don't you love like so much. musicals.
0: But, um, but uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought, you know, the performances were great. Who knew Dinklage could sing? I didn't.
1: I didn't either. Yeah, and this is directed by Joe Wright, as you said, um, who really has shown, and he he's shown in his career to be able to adapt to many different genres, yes. many different types of films. I remember after I had seen, because he did Pride, Pride and, and Prejudice. Prejudice, and then when I went to see Hannah that he directed, I had no idea he could stage action like that. Yeah. Incredible visuals.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, he just has a real eye for framing. He does. No matter what he does, no matter whether it's a good movie or a bad movie, it looks incredible.
1: Yeah, he really does. Uh, And for people that aren't familiar with the original story from the 1800s, if you're only familiar with the story of Cyrano de Bergerac from Steve Martin's adaptation, Roxanne, of course, in the late 80s, this is different. This is a lot different. I mean, to the basic story, let alone the fact that it's a musical. Okay, that's, that's a lot different. But The story is not the same.
0: No, first of all, it's not funny. It's a drama. (laughs) It is not funny. It's a tragedy and a drama. And I didn't expect that either. Uh, Apparently, I I, I knew less about it than I thought I did. In a lot of ways, I think that makes the whole thing far more interesting than I expected it really to be.
1: Yeah, and it was adapted. The original play here was adapted by Erica Schmidt, who happens to be Peter Dinklage's wife. Yeah. And it is. It's a brilliant way, because if you remember, the original idea of Cyrano was the fact that he didn't feel worthy of Roxanne because he had this incredibly large nose. And they kept that premise with Steve Martin's version as well. Mm-hmm. Well, here, he doesn't have a large nose. It's, fa- it's his height, his diminutive stature that makes him feel unworthy. And that's why he can't express his love and he lets Christian do it for him. So, the, I, like you said in the beginning here, that's a nice little turn.
0: It is. And God... Dinklage is great. He really is. You know, I mean, he, you know, and I think the fact that his wife is writing helps because she probably has a a really keen idea as to how to help him tap into, but I mean, the vulnerability and the pain that he expresses in this movie. He's just magnificent. And he
1: just has charisma. Oh, he really does. He just, I mean, he is
0: an incredible actor. Yeah.
1: And no matter what he's done um throughout his career, he's just one of those guys that has charisma. Yeah, Some, he really does. You can't really put your finger on it sometimes. He just does.
0: Yeah, and and actors like that, chemistry. They have mm-hmm. chemistry yeah. with everybody. And he does, although he's he's with a great cast. He is. You know, Haley Bennett is great. Calvin Harrison Jr. plays Christian, who is great, and then Ben Mendelssohn, one of our favorites. He chews scenery as the villain. But Haley Bennett. Who's also always good and is, I think, married to the director. She just yes. brings, just, she's just so sort of sumptuous this mm-hmm. whole film through. You know, it's uh, a and, and and good singer
1: herself. She yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, and if you remember, her debut was in that, uh, as a singer, in that, uh, what was that? It was, what was it called? Words and Music with uh, Hugh Grant and, and Drew, Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. She, she was, was just the a kid. teen yeah. pop idol. Yeah, that was her debut. Can you believe wow. that? Uh, so yeah, she's good. And also, you will see a sighting of Glenn Hansard from Once. Well, that's right. Yeah, he's in this movie. Of course, he was in The Commitments as well, but uh, fans of Once and his group Swell Season will uh, have a Glenn Hansard sighting. So, yeah, it's enjoyable. Let's talk about the music quickly because the music here, all original, was done by the guys in the pop group The National. We're not that familiar with them. We thought that was actually a little bit of a weakness. There's one really, at least to our minds, one really good, really standout song in this soundtrack but it's weird because it seems sort of tangential to the story.
0: Absolutely. And it was. It was—it it, it comes late in the story. It's very moving. It's its catchy. It's the kind of thing that has, a you know, like an impact with the scene. But the scene feels like an afterthought. This, the song doesn't seem to fit. And also the staging. Sometimes I thought the music, and you're, this is much more your area than mine, but I thought sometimes the musical staging was really fascinating and, and fun and interesting. And sometimes it felt like a fragrance ad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. But even then... It's, it's visually enticing, yeah. I think, because Joe Wright really has a, a flair for that, uh, and he does set them up well. And it's, it is enjoyable. It's just if you have to get ready to get over the surprise of how different the story is, then you may be uh, ready for And I know Steve Martin's version was a long time ago, right. so maybe we're overstating that case. Right? Maybe you have to be of a certain age, our age, uh, to remember that so well. Or if you didn't study Cyrano in school. You don't know exactly how serious the real story is, mm-hmm. uh, so just be ready for that. But it is—it's a—it's a visual feast, well done, uh, and give you a new—a new appreciation for a classic work, and that is out in theaters now. Peter Dinklage, uh, starring in Cyrano. Got a thriller up next in some theaters and uh, for streaming. A mother desperately races against time to save her child as authorities place her small town on lockdown. This is called the Desperate Hour. development
0: unknown number who is it my son's there with you
1: you're lying you're the police no
0: i'm his mom tell me how i can help you swat has
1: entered the east wing oh my God. please hurry please hurry. who are you talking to what? who are you talking to uh, you you're a liar you're what? the
0: police no Who's i'm not there? the police tell me where he is This is one, as you as you pointed out earlier today, is uh, almost a one-woman show, which is lucky that it, that one woman is Naomi Watts.
1: Exactly. Yeah, She carries this movie. And it reminded me of something we've talked many times now during these times, quote-unquote, about movies that have found a way, filmmakers that have found a way to pivot and still keep creating in these quarantine times. And in the first few minutes of this movie, you feel like this is... Probably one of those. And it may have been, except if you look at who wrote it, the writer is Chris Sparling. And he did a variation of the same premise years ago with Buried.
0: Yep, Ryan got Ryan Reynolds.
1: Starring Ryan Reynolds, where that was, he was the only human on screen Mm -hmm. the entire movie. Mm -hmm. His character is kidnapped, and we basically meet him when he's already been buried. He's got a cell phone, and he's trying to call for help. So this is a, a variation on that because Naomi Watts plays this mother who has gone for. She's taking the day off work because she needs a mental health day because it's, it's, it's the anniversary one-year anniversary of her husband's death in a fatal car crash. So uh, she goes on a long run with her phone, and you can tell pretty soon she's out in a wooded area far away from anything. And she hears sirens, and you, you get the feeling that something something is not right. And pretty soon through these different phone calls and, and Internet uh, news reports she can see on her phone, her high school son's school ...has been put on lockdown. There's a shooter, and it seems uh, the authorities are interested in her son as a possible shooter. So that's how you get Naomi Watts. Ninety percent of this, she's emoting with a phone or with a voice on the other end of the phone. That's tough. Yeah. That is tough to make it really feel palpable. Now, I will say the director, Philip Noyce, longtime director. Long time. He's done good and some bad. He's done The Quiet American. He did Rabbit Proof Fence. Mm -hmm. Many movies. He sets the hook very well early on with the disorienting camera movements as things start to uh, get serious and then layering in the different phone calls. You really feel the panic start to set in. But it's all about Naomi Watts selling that to make you feel it. And she does. But it's really hard to overstate how easily this could have all fallen completely apart early if there was somebody less talented than her. Sure. Absolutely. In the part. But she makes it. Sticks. She makes it feel real. Then it's almost like the premise couldn't hold for people that haven't seen Buried. We're not going to spoil anything, but Buried does not get manipulative. It does not really get contrived. No, this does, and that's what really starts to detract from the overall, the overall effect of the movie. She she learns. She's able to search on things and make some calls and and get people to. Maybe the other end of the phone do some things that are a little bit illegal. And she starts to learn about what's going on and maybe who is the real shooter and maybe try to help defuse the situation. And because of that, you get some contrivance and you, and you get some manipulative uh, string pulling that hurts it. And then at the very end, really after the credits have have started to roll, you get a a really simplistic preachy sort of message that is very well-meaning. Don't get me wrong, very well-meaning because obviously this is a, a a horrible, uniquely American epidemic that this movie is dealing with and it, it almost treats it so simplistically toward the end that it undercuts the seriousness of what it's trying to do. Sure. Uh, which was, was disappointing uh, toward the end but it's set up well and it does create some tension, but it all hinges on Naomi Watts' performance, which is great. Without her, I can't imagine what this movie would be. It'd be not worth seeing, I'll tell you that. But she she makes it work, and it is, uh, it is in some theaters. I think a limited theater release, but it's also on Prime. It's a streaming, uh, and you can find it. Also, if you might come across it, its previous title, we've seen a lot of these lately. Sure. With previous titles that were were out there and then changed, so you'll see it out there in different, uh, in different under different names. It was called Lakewood, which is the title of their neighborhood there, their area that they're living in. But uh, it's now known as The Desperate Hour, and it is in real time, which helps the, the feeling of dread and mm-hmm. the feeling of tension as well. It used to be Lakewood, now it's The Desperate Hour in theaters and uh, on streaming now. <laughs> the latest Bruce Willis crime thriller is next. A man implicated in the triple homicide of three Hollywood starlets begins his own investigation. Needing assistance, he enlists the two detectives on his tail in order to expose a conspiracy more explosive than any of them imagined. This is Gasoline Alley. We need to talk to you about the four dead girls.
0: You ever seen these girls before? My
1: suspect? That's yours, right? The lighter, it was found at the crime scene. We got motive, we got access. Why don't you tell me who you think's involved? I have nothing to do with it.
0: I got someone trying to pin a bunch of murders on me. In broad daylight. I'm not going back inside, especially not for something I didn't do.
1: What am
0: I into? Show business, son.
1: I don't think you're involved in this any more than somebody wants you to be. I told you to be ready.
0: Well, it's a day ending in Y, so that means there's a new Bruce
1: Willis movie. They just keep cranking them out. Not only Bruce Willis, but uh, writer, co-writer, and director Edward Drake. This is now, they just had one last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is their fifth together. They've got number six in post-production. So they got an a, a assembly line going. But if you've seen all of their films, as I have, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the best. So we're making progress here, people. This is the best one. And we heard of this term and I'm not gonna we we're not gonna take credit for it. I don't know who did. The term geezer teaser mm-hmm. we've learned since the last one of their films, which is perfect for how these usually work. You get an aging star, usually Bruce Willis, you <laughs> you you tease him in the marketing, and then about halfway through the movie, his character just disappears. Yep. Because apparently he's got a one day shooting agreement and then he's out. Yep. Thankfully, that's not the case here. Uh, His character sticks around till the very end, along with Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson joins the party here, too. And they are. He
0: has talent.
1: They they are two detectives. And, uh, yeah, they're on. They got four problems. They got the bodies of four dead hookers. And uh, it all leads to Jimmy Jane, an L.A. tattoo artist played by Devin Sawa. And he uh, is an ex-con. And he knows he's being framed. He's not going to stand still for this. So yeah, his launching his own investigation gives Luke Wilson and Bruce Willis the chance to just go away for a while.
0: And it's all because all three men are really concerned about these women.
1: They are, yeah. There's so much respect. Well, uh, Jimmy did have a a brief uh, uh, encounter. That that's one of the reasons he's a suspect. He was the last one seen with the dead hooker named Star, who says, "If you forget my name, just look up." (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) but the point is here they're. Things about it that are getting better and make this one actually a watchable thriller. I mean, there are problems, don't get me wrong. All of Drake's movies suffer to varying degrees with just in- inauthenticity. Yes. So much of it just doesn't. Everything from the sets to the fake news reports on TV, it just nothing just feels real. And the score. The score here is problematic weird ambience part of the time and then some loud southern country rock is in your face and it's all over the place. But, Devin Sawa, I'll give him credit. He he is really committed in this character and yes, he has to make sure that whatever he's doing, uh, gun play and action action stunts, he's got a, a cigarette just dangling just so from his steely pout. Never gets <laughs> rid of that. But, he's he gives a, a decent, a committed performance. Also, there's a woman I wasn't aware of. She was on Veep, I guess, and has had some a lot of um, supporting roles named Sufi Bradshaw. She, she comes along um, about midway through. A very nice supporting performance. So there are, there are some pluses here. And Luke Wilson, too. I, Luke Wilson seems to be having fun because his character has just a real no Fs to give about anything. Now, Willis, of course, is on autopilot, as he is in all these movies. <laughs> but Luke Wilson seems to be having some fun with this. So there's another, there's another thumbs up.
0: And a little wink and a nod to their own canon.
1: That's the thing. Uh, It is nice that in this script there's some self-aware humor. In fact taking a shot, maybe a shot but at least, yeah, like a wink wink at one of their previous films because some of this, since they're in LA, they cross paths with the movie industry, the porn industry things like that. So there are on on movie sets and they do get a chance to do a little little wink wink at one of their own films. So I'm like, okay, all right, I appreciate that. Um, And it leads to a finale that Okay, it may not be that big of a surprise, but if you have seen these movies, like I said, then you're going to see some improvement here. And the next one on their uh, agenda, the next one on their resume, is not only going to be starring Bruce Willis, but John Travolta is in the next one. So it's coming soon. But for now... It appears we're heading in the right direction with these uh, (laughs) Bruce Willis and Edward Drake productions. (laughs) This one is a a serviceable, watchable (laughs) crime thriller, not one where you're rolling your eyes the entire time. And it is also in limited theater release and on Prime on streaming. And it is called Gasoline Alley, which is, by the way, the name of the tattoo shop. Uh, where all roads lead to this crime. You think. You never know. It's out now. How about a good old disaster movie? Haven't had one of those for a while. This is an oil platform dramatically going down on the Norwegian coast. And researchers try to find out what happened when they realize this is just the start of something even more serious. It's called The Burning Sea. I love it. Burning Sea, that certainly conjures up a visual. Uh, but I, I know from your written review, one of the things you like best about this disaster movie is that it actually takes an understated tone.
0: It does. I mean, because, you know, the disaster itself is pretty huge. So it doesn't really require all of the swelling strings and the, you know, I mean, it just doesn't require that level of bombast and filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You just need to have a little bit of faith that the actual sight of uh, a sea on fire and everything else that happens is enough for us to go, oh, and, you know, and it is. Uh, it's a Norwegian film, and it is set on the coast, and they have, the government of Norway and their oil industry, they have been drilling, and what they found is um, they've just weakened the sea bottom, and so uh, one of their platforms collapses. But the fact is... That's the least of their problems. <laughs> and what, when the when the first collapses, they send out a robotics team because uh, the woman Sophia, she, you know, she and her partner, you know, they they man they they drive these drones with cameras so they can see. They're looking for survivors, is what they're looking for. But what they find down there is evidence of something much more catastrophic mm-hmm. that's about to happen. And then, you know, it leads really fairly naturally to, uh, you know, a series of events where the, the government and the oil industry have to sort of weigh what is likely to happen, how likely is it to happen, what could we do about it? And one of the things I like about the film is that they don't go out of their way to vilify these people, you know? They're not great people, they've made greedy decisions, but they're not, you know, evil incarnate, which is nice. They get a chance to just be like... Real people. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a nice change of pace that, that the, the movie isn't... St- Dumbed down. It's not one note. It's also filmed really beautifully. Uh, you get a real sense of the rugged beauty of uh, the Norwegian coast, and then of course there's all of there is a lot of action uh, yeah. and uh, and and it's a, it is a very tense thriller once the action kicks
1: in. So uh, I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. This is director John Andreas Anderson, and it is out in uh, in theaters now. And yeah, uh, it's it seems like it's been a while since we really talked about a. A good old disaster movie. Yeah. And you're right. So many of them are just there. Look, are like, look, you're here. You're not here for the characters. You're here for the disaster. But it's nice when a filmmaker or filmmakers realize, let's give you some real characters to care about. Right. Right. And it makes you care about the, the disaster if you care about the people involved in it. So this is a good one. Uh, again, in theaters now called The Burning Sea. <sniffs> hey, how about a horror movie? Yes. A lonely teen discovers her family's ties to witchcraft. Go on. This one's called Hellbender. <laughs>
0: What do you smell? I smell a man. You know why we're called hellbenders? Because we're beards. Have you been in my dreams? If you break my heart, I'll devour you. If they want to believe in hell so badly, I'll give them hell. I just want the waters to be People. It's not a gift, is it? Then why was it given? I'm not afraid of you, is he? You will be. One of the reasons that this movie is so fascinating, it's a, it's a shutter premiere this week, is the group of people who are making it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we saw a few years ago uh, in at a film festival. We saw there the same group of people made a movie called "The Deeper You Dig," mm-hmm. and it was the first of theirs that we'd seen. It's called an Adams family film. A yeah. D A M S, not double D. <laughs> and uh, John Adams is uh, he directs, he co directs, co writes, and is the dad. His his wife, Toby Poser, co directs, co writes. Stars is the mom. Their daughter. But actually, both of their daughters. Zelda, yeah. Zelda and Lulu. So Lulu co-stars. Zelda stars, co-writes, and co-directs.
1: This is great. Yeah. yeah
0: and and the whole group of people made, they also made The Deeper Dig. They make this movie. And, and this, fi- this film, Hellbender, it only has two other people who helped in any way. So there are two other members of the crew. Otherwise, it's entirely a family amazing. affair, which is amazing. It is. And I'm sure it's a very low-budget, micro-budget film, but you don't get that feeling from it. It is so well-made.
1: Mm-hmm. It's another one of those reaffirmations that it can be done. I remember thinking that when I saw uh, Krisha years ago, the first yep. thing from uh, Trey Edward Schultz, like, "Wow, now here's somebody you you can do it. It's hard, but you can do it." And uh, this is just another uh, another example of a this time a family that gets together and pulls it off.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredible. So the story is uh, Poser and the uh, and the daughter Zelda. Uh, They play mother and daughter. They live in a very isolated area, deep in the woods, just the two of them. And and, uh, the mother, she's just listed as mother, goes to town periodically to pick up supplies or some arts or whatever. But uh, her daughter cannot come. She'd like to come. She cannot come. And uh, we come to realize as someone is lost in the woods, a man gets lost in the woods and tries to talk to Izzy, which is the character's name, she keeps stepping back away from him and saying that she's sick. And uh, the fact is that her mom has convinced her that she has a very rare autoimmune disease and that she can't be near people. And uh, she finds that that's not really true. And her mom says, I'm just being protective. But the fact is, she's not trying to protect her daughter. She's trying to protect people. (laughs) I love that. It's a really simple concept, and it's executed very well. They're also, it's fun because um, she's a lonely teenage girl, but at the same time, it's not one of those situations. She, and Her mom clearly does everything possible to keep her entertained. They're in a punk band together. You know, they they seem to have a lovely time together. One of the things I like about it, too, is that it doesn't go into great painful detail about sort of its backstory. Just it's, It unveils pieces of information here and there, but it never feels forced as if it's being explained just for the benefit of the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, They have these uh, sort of hallucinogenic flashback sequences that are a lot of fun, too, and really punctuate the film because otherwise, you know, it's it's almost a Cabin in the Woods movie. I mean, you're surrounded by woods. It's beautiful, but it is fun, these sort of druggy, flashing, you know, uh, horror sequences. You know, I'd say it meanders a little bit and the climax is maybe not all you're hoping for. But it's a really solid effort and, and, and a great movie to watch.
1: Yeah, Family Affair and just uh, another example that it's just about storytelling. It doesn't have to be about big budget characters and storytelling. And this one's on Shutter now. It's called Hellbender. And next up is a series of three films or three film programs highlighting all of the nominated shorts for the upcoming Oscars. Documentary, live action, and animated. Boy, these are just programs that we look forward to every, every year. Every year. Short films, the Oscar-nominated short films from all over the world. And I, I, I know I say this probably every time that we talk about the short films. I remember being a kid and watching the Oscars and thinking to myself at the time when they gave them away, where do people see these shorts? Right. And this is a great way to see some of the best. And keep in mind that because there are only five nominated in each, in each category, live action, animated, and documentary, If their lengths don't make up, you know, a full movie, they add some other very good, almost nominated shorts in there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're just great, uh, especially the live action ones that we just had a chance to check out the other night. I'm not going to lie to you. There are not a lot of laughs. Right. uh, Especially in the live action shorts. But boy, they make Very compelling and important statements in under 30 minutes, some 18 minutes, some right up until 30. But they're just so worth seeing, documentary live action and animation. And hopefully they are at a theater in your area. I know these programs, the three separate films, are playing in many different cities around the country. And by all means, highly recommended if they're in your area. Check them out. Good stuff. All three of them. And one more this week, a drama out of Czechoslovakia. Two students of a theological seminary in totalitarian Czechoslovakia must decide if they'll choose the easier way of collaboration or if they'll subject themselves to the surveillance of the secret police. This is called servants.
0: Christy Robb reviewed this movie for us on MadWolf.com, and it is in theaters right now. And it's black and white, and it's such a fascinating approach. You know, there have been a lot of movies over the years that are set in sort of a totalitarian. And right now, uh, one of the things that this movie does really well is to just let you know how easy it is for that to become the norm. Yes. But one of the things that's great about this gorgeous black and white movie is that it begins like a noir It's so gorgeous, this film to look at. But then what it does, it kind of, it kind of, the camera moves back and moves back. And pretty soon you're just observing, you're surveilling Mm -hmm. this seminary where priests can't even read from or share uh, religious texts because it's a communist nation. And what they're willing to do to just, well, essentially, you know, uh, fit in, uh, go unnoticed, not rock the boat. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's, frightening it's hypnotic it's really quite something this movie
1: yeah and you can check out Christie's entire written review at madwolf.com it is in theaters it's also available on prime video uh, if you don't have it in the theaters as well but of course a, a beautiful movie we always urge people to see him on the big screen if you can but definitely worth seeing either way and that is called servants <laughs> all right daniel baldwin the schlocketeer taking the week off so we will look ahead to next week we've already said the big one can't wait to talk about it, and there's going to be a lot to talk about. The Batman is coming next week. Also,
0: who does Salon?
1: Oh, another one we've already seen, uh, Take Back the Night. That'll be good to uh, talk about as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mother Schmuckers.
1: What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Say it carefully. Mother Schmuckers. Also asking for it.
0: And after Yang, looking forward to that one. Yeah,
1: that is done by the guy who did that small film Columbus years ago that nobody saw that was just great. And this one stars uh, Colin Farrell Mm -hmm. and Jodie Smith-Turner from uh, Queen and Slim. Mm -hmm. So definitely looking forward to that one as well. So going to be a big week to talk movies next week. And uh, this week, what do you think? Think about anything we've talked about. You love that Foo Fighters horde? You love those Bruce Willis geezer teasers? Uh, although not really a teaser this time, so that's good. <laughs> Let us know what you thought. Uh, we always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F, M A D D W O L F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast. A new episode just dropping, by the way. Uh, that called Fright Club. You can find that all right there at MadWolf.com. All right, so we'd love to hear from you. Keep in touch if you can. Until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.